for the majority of my life, I uh, was convinced that the greatest character in the Old Testament was Moses. Uh, after all, he's probably the most commonly known character in the Old Testament. Even if you don't go to church very often, you probably have heard of or know of Moses, right? The long gray beard, gray hair, and he's got the staff. You know the picture of Moses. He freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He led them through the desert for 40 years. He came down with Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. He brought the Israelites to the Promised Land. I mean, he is a biblical mogul, right? He, he is a great character. But then I read the book of Joshua. Now, of all the characters we know of in the Bible, most people might know a little bit about Joshua, but a lot of people don't know a whole lot. Joshua was Moses' apprentice. He was a young guy that uh, Moses had been called to raise up to be the future leader of the Israelites. And shortly before Moses' death, he would be commissioned as the new leader of Israel. He, he would be the one that would lead them to the promise. He would lead them into the promised land. It wasn't Moses. It was Joshua. Moses would look over the land, but he would never actually step into it. Joshua would be the one that would lead them to the promised land. And from the very start of Joshua's leadership in Israel, you can tell amazing things are going to happen. Joshua was an amazing leader. He leads the Israelites to victory after victory as they secure the land that was promised to them. He was faithful. He was courageous. He trusted God at his very word. And because of it, so did the rest of Israel. Right? There's an old statement, so the leader goes, so do the followers. Right? That the leader is the one who really sets the pace for those who are following. And Joshua set the pace for Israel. For almost a hundred years, Joshua would faithfully lead and guide the people of Israel into a lasting relationship with God. It really was a beautiful time for the Israelites in the scriptures. But... But rarely do I go on to the next book in the Bible. You have Joshua, and then you have Judges. And it's not because Judges isn't a very good read. It actually is a really interesting read, and I recommend you read it. But what happens in the first couple chapters of Judges, it just bothers me so much that I hate even going into reading it. I love reading the book of Joshua because he was, he was so inspiring. He, he inspired me to be a better leader and a better father, a better friend. And then I go to Judges and I'm like, oh. Right, so here, just look what happens. Now, if you have a, a Bible, you can open up to the book of Judges. It's going to be in Judges 2 or download the YouVersion app. Super easy way to follow along. Otherwise, everything's going to be on the screen. But, but I want you to notice what happens here in Judges chapter 2. doesn't take long, okay? Judges chapter 2. It says, after Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of of 110. Now, it sounds like really good news, and it is, right? The leaders of the tribes of Israel, they go about securing their plots of land that have been allocated to them, and they go doing it, serving God faithfully and with, with courage. And it says even after Joshua's death, the passage says that the leaders served God faithfully. 
And this is not the part that bothers me so much. It's what comes right after this. Right after this. One verse later, we're told something that bothers me a lot. Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, it says this. After that generation died, another generation grew up. He did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he'd done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. They angered the Lord. It's heartbreaking when you think about all that God had done in and through the Israelites. And it only took one generation for them to abandon it all. And it makes me ask the question, how does something like that happen? How did that happen? How did Joshua and lead the people into the promised land? And they were so successful and they were loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they were serving each other. And they were, they were doing this with faith and courage. And then the next generation abandons all of that. They abandoned it all so much that it says that it angered God. Well, like I said earlier, we were in the fourth week of a series called We're Genesis. And uh, we're looking at where God is leading us as a church going forward. And so if you're new here today, you're in a really fun time in the life of our church because we are moving forward with some amazing things that God is doing. And uh, we're really after this one statement that we keep bringing up, that we want to be a thriving community of changed lives, changing lives. That we want to be a people who thrive in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that through that changed life, we might have an impact on the world around us. We want to be go-getters as people. We want to be a church that's known not just for what we say, but for what we do. And we've been looking at these four mission priorities that we believe if we do these things, we will so hopefully, then we believe, will accomplish that end goal of being that thriving community. And so we've been looking at we want to be a church that's developing followers of Jesus, no matter where you are on the spectrum. Maybe you don't believe anything Jesus said. Maybe you have been a follower of Jesus your whole life. We want to continue to grow and develop. Last week we looked at how we can be a church that helps people connect to each other. Because we have found in the scriptures and in our own lives that life is better together. That we grow, that we develop when we are together, right? And this week, we're going to look at the third mission priority. And that is that we want to be a church that invests in the next generation. We want to be a church that intentionally invests in the next generation. Now, you might wonder why would we would make one of those, why would we make that one of our four mission priorities? I mean, after all, isn't it just sort of assumed that we would invest in the next generation, right? I mean, we've got a kids ministry, we've got student ministry. Why? What? What? What more is there than that? And and in some respects, we're right. Like, we, we do have a great kids ministry, we've got a great student ministry, but statistics show us that for all of our efforts, we are falling way behind in reaching and investing in the next generation. Tom Rayner is the leading voice on statistical evidence regarding different issues around the church, and he has released numerous books and articles on good and bad statistics for the church, specifically in America. And one of the categories he shares statistics about over and over and over again, it has to do with the effectiveness of the church reaching and retaining the next generation. Now, I want to just share with you a few statistics he shares 
regarding the millennial generation. Okay? The millennial generation is uh, people who are born between 1980 and 1995. Okay? So if you're here, you're born there, you're a millennial. Okay? And here's what it says. Uh, his statistics show that 70% of kids will drop out of church between the ages of 18 and 28. In other words, that generation has grown up in the church. Those who have, 70% of them will drop out of church by the time they leave high school. Right? That is tremendously higher than it has ever been. It used to be that kids would drop out, right? And then later on in life, when they got married and had kids, they would come back. Well, this generation is showing that only 20% of those who drop out will eventually come back. 28% of millennials go to church on a regular basis. 28%. But that's not all. See, we've been talking about the millennial generation for like the last 10 years. Uh, but there is an entirely new generation growing up that most of our kids and teenagers are a part of, and it's now called Generation Z. And Generation Z are those who were born 1996 to 2010, and they are now the single largest generation to ever roam the face of the earth. There are more Generation Zers than there has been any other generation before. The Barna Group revealed some statistics about them. Generation Z uh, teenagers, 50% of them consider themselves Christians or Catholic. Half of teenagers and kids in our world who are growing up right now don't even consider themselves affiliated with a religion. 35% of the entire generation considers themselves atheist or agnostic. That's 15% higher than what it was with millennials. And only 4% of those who consider themselves Christians have a biblical worldview. Now look, these are some serious statistics. And they're just numbers, right? But behind all of those numbers are people. Yes. Kids, students, young adults, people, millions and millions of people. And it is a scary a little bit to see some of these facts because if we don't take them seriously, I believe that in 50 years, they will be saying this about us. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he'd done for Israel. So what happened? What, what, what happened? I mean, Joshua, this great leader, this, this, the success of the Israelites, and then a generation later, like 50 years later, it's all gone. What happened? What happened in our, in our own backyards? Right? It, it has been something we've never really talked about this, at least not in the last 50 years or so, a little bit here and there, but not at the extent that we're doing it now because we're losing the battle. We're losing the battle badly. And you know what? I can, there's only one thing I can come up with with what happened. You know what it is? We just assumed. We just assumed. We, the Israelites, they, they just assumed that the next generation was going to get it. And they went along as they always had. And we, we've been just assuming, well, the next generation, of course they're going to grow up and know who Jesus is. Which, that's just what happens. It's not that we didn't want the next generation to know about Jesus. We just assumed that they would. Right? And so we assumed that our way of doing church would be sufficient. And we assumed our preferences would be their preferences. And, and we assumed that being on the cutting edge of the 1700s with our music would appeal to a new generation. <laughs> right? We assumed the Bible came alive to them when we did an in-depth Bible study of Obadiah. 
Some of you are like, oh, well, what? Is that even it? That's not in here, is it? Yeah, it is. We assume that they, they knew that we cared about social issues even though we never really did anything about it. We just assumed, and I know, listen, I know this song sounds a little harsh, but the reality of what we're facing is really harsh. It's really harsh. We are not reaching, we are not reaching, we are not investing in the next generation, not even a little. We are losing the battle, and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart, and really, it ought to break all of our hearts. Amen. It ought to break all of our hearts, which is why one of our four mission priorities is that we are going to be a church that invests in the next generation. We are going to take this serious situation very seriously, and with God's help, we are going to do everything we can to let the next generation, my kids, your kids, grandkids, know about Jesus and that he is real as he has ever been and is the greatest need in their lives. Yeah. And here's the good news. Oh, finally, we get to the good news. <laughs> we can do it. Yes. We, we can do this. This is not outside of our reach. Despite the dismal statistics that are coming out about millennials and Gen Z and who knows what the next generation, there is still a spiritual hunger that exists in every person who walks on this earth. There is still a spiritual hunger in those who are ages 18 to 28 and those who are teenagers and those who are kids. Overall, listen to this, both generations, they still believe that church could be a place to find answers for a meaningful life, 82% of them. They just don't find it relevant to their life or to their generation. In addition, both generations, listen, they're both eager to find a place that will answer the hard questions that they are asking, but they're finding more relevant and accepting environments in other religions and philosophies. In other words, listen, both millennials and the next generation, they want to be a part of the church. They want to be a part of this. They want to know who God is. They want to follow Jesus, but the church is doing very little to help them. We've done very little to help them. Now look, I'm not getting any younger. I know I still look 28, but it's not true. <laughs> Next year I'm gonna be 40. I don't want any jokes. <laughs> and while, that, <laughs> while, while that is, you know, I'm still pretty young for a lead pastor. I realize that my preferences and my ideas and my presuppositions aren't always best or what is best for the next generation of Jesus. But I want to learn. I want to learn. I want my preferences and my ideas uh, to be challenged because I don't want to retire in 25 years and look at Genesis and realize the next generation is nowhere to be found. That's like my worst nightmare. I wake up at night thinking about that. So let me just first talk to those of us, this includes me, who are not a part of that next generation as we're talking about. Okay? Just those of you who are here 40 years old or older, you don't have to put your hand up, just you know who you are. And let's just talk real honestly right now for a second because we need to be challenged if we want to become a church that intentionally invests in and reaches the next generation. Okay? So here, here's a few things that we really need to take seriously. And the first of those is that we need to seek humility and authenticity in our lives. 
I can think of no better thing for us to do than to get on our knees and ask God to give us a posture of humility and authenticity. It is so easy for us to get stuck in our own pride that we can't even acknowledge this problem really exists and we haven't done anything to fix it. You know, only when we begin to see, like, we've made mistakes. We, we haven't done this well. We've kind of screwed up that we can begin to be the solution to the problem. You know, I want my prayer, as I get older, to be the same prayer that comes from Psalm 71. And it says this, now that I'm old and gray, I've got some gray coming, don't, my wife will attest to that. Now that I'm old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your miracle, mighty miracles to all who come after me. Yes. I want that to be our prayer, that we would do everything in our power with God's help to let the next generation know that this God is still alive and real. Yes. But to do that, it is going to take an incredible amount of humility and authenticity on our part. We have to be willing to set aside our pride, and be completely honest with ourselves and the mistakes that we've made and the things that we haven't done. And we have to be completely honest with others about what is happening inside and outside of our church. It really starts there for those of us who are older. We have to let go of our inability to see the problem. But we need to see it for what it is and take charge with humility and authenticity. Secondly, if we want to invest in the next generation, we need to see people over our preferences. We all have our preferences, right? There's nothing wrong with our preferences. You have them, I have them, until they become more important than people. Then it's a problem. And here's the deal. The longer you follow Jesus, the less important your preferences ought to become. Look at the life of Paul as an example. Paul was one of the first leaders of the church. Before becoming a Christian, he despised anyone who wasn't a God-fearing Jew. So much so that he would go so far as to imprison and even execute those who came against his preferences, his opinions, his ideas as a Pharisee. But then he becomes a follower of Jesus. And all of that changes. Not only about Christians... But those who aren't Christians or even Jewish, look at, look at what he writes in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I don't ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share with their weaknesses for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, listen to this. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Listen, what would happen to a church if we all carried that sort of attitude, what might happen to our kids and our teenagers as they grow up? If we all walked around going, you know what? This is so important that I'm gonna set aside my preferences for everything in this under the sun, and I'm gonna focus on the fact that we are here to reach people who have different preferences than me, who have different needs 
than me. And so as you develop as a follower of Jesus, your preferences begin to take a back seat to the people you're hoping to reach. It's just the way it works. And we're trying to reach a generation that is growing up without Christ. And I think about Paul, I'm like, what would Paul do here? Well, he would do whatever it is that he could do to find common ground with that next generation, setting his preferences aside and really focusing on the people. And the generation that's being raised up is starving for a church that is more concerned about them than the preferences they have. And I'm telling you, this is not easy. Because I have preferences. I like how, you know, certain ways to do church and certain ways not to do church. And I like doing certain events and something, you know, other events I don't like doing. But if we are going to really get after this, we have got to learn how to set aside our preferences so we can focus on the people who are growing up without knowing who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Lastly, we want to invest in the next generation. We have to love them. We just got to love them. You know, I mean, maybe the thing that keeps the next generation from the church more than anything else is that we just don't love them very much. We like to say that we do, but then when we talk about them, we're cynical, we're critical, we have sarcastic comments about who they are and how they're growing up. And it's nothing new, of course, because they used to say it about you. Every generation has had those things said about them. Look at this. 1990. Time Magazine. Here's what they say about the next generation, which would have been the Gen Xers, by the way. They have trouble making decisions. They'd rather hike in the Himalayas than climb a corporate ladder. They crave entertainment, but their attention span is as short as one zap of a TV dial. (laughs) That's for you and me, those of you who are in your 40s and 50s. That's what they said about us. Or how about this one? In 1976, it said this, the now generation has become the me generation. It was all about them. That's you, baby boomers. That's what they were saying about you. And in the 8th century BC, Hesiod said this, I see no hope for the future of our people if they are dependent on the frivolous youth of today. Look, we have just, over history, we have not been very good at loving the next generation. We've been really good at criticizing them. Really good at being cynical to them. Because it's easy, right? They're not doing it like you did it. They don't act like you acted. They don't dress like you dress. But let's be real. Not a lot has changed. Not a lot has changed. And the next generation, the last thing they need right now is more criticism and cynicism from the church. They need people who love them. Despite how they act, despite how they dress, despite what music they like or what TV shows they watch. What they need is for us to love them. Amen. To see beyond the preferences and see the people that are behind. What they need is for us to set aside all the cynicism and criticism and preferences so we can let them know that they're loved by God and by us. So to the next generation, those of you who are here, I know a lot of our teenagers are in here now, young adults. Those of you who are growing up as millennials, Gen Z years, I just want to say three things to you. First of all, forgive us. Forgive us. We haven't always gotten this right. I mean, clearly, we, we, we've, we've missed the mark on a lot of this. But, but I know the heart of this church. The truth is, we want to. 
We, we want to get this right. And here's even more. I want our next generation to grow up with a heart for the next generation after that. And that starts with us. And so forgive us. We have too many times been critical. We put our preferences over you. And we are sorry for making you feel inferior in the church. We're sorry that we haven't really loved you that well. But we, but we want to. We want to, and we're going to work on it. In humility and authenticity, we're going to work on it. Second, I want you to get involved here. I want you to get involved here. I've been in, when I grew up in churches, you could do nothing if you were under the age of 18. You could do nothing. If you had to be 18, then you could do things. That's not how it is here. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. You've got something to offer to this church. Maybe, maybe you, uh, you want to be a barista someday. Well, we've got a cafe where you can learn how to make coffee. Okay? You, you love technology. You love computers. We've got a tech team that we're trying to build right now. And trust me, we need you. Because we're sitting back there, you know, in our old brains, and they're not Macintoshes from the 1990s. And you would walk in and be like, you guys are stupid. This is how you do it. We need you. We need you back, right? If you can play music, we need you, right? I love seeing Christian up here. He's like 16 years old. He's playing drums. We need that in our church, right? If you love people and love to greet people, we'll put you at the front door and you can greet people. We want you to be involved here. I will not say no to anybody getting involved in this church. I don't care how young you are. You've got something to offer this church. You have gifts that our church, our community needs. Your value, and I want you involved. And last but not least, follow Jesus. The church is an imperfect place where people make mistakes all the time, but you can still follow Jesus. He will never disappoint. Because we will say the wrong thing. And we will do something ridiculous and we'll act ridiculous. But one thing will never disappoint you. And that is Jesus. So follow him. Put his instructions to the test. Read this book. Learn about who it is. Be here on Sunday. If you're a teenager, you need to be here on Wednesday nights. To get together with other leaders who love you and want to help you understand who Jesus is. If you're a young adult, get in a group or talk to us about starting a group. Just do whatever you do. Just don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. He is worth your time and he is worth your energy at every single moment. <coughs> Let me finish with this. Get sweaty. <laughs> I, I refuse to be part of a church where our kids and our grandkids won't want to be when they grow up. Hmm. I will do everything in my power as the leader of this church to help us become a church that doesn't just assume that the next generation is getting it, but is intentionally investing in them. I will sacrifice just about every preference I have to reach the people that we want to see know Jesus. I will set aside the kind of music I like. I will set aside the kind of events I prefer. I will set aside whether we have coffee or kombucha or however you say it. <laughs> But we are going to become a church that intentionally invests in the next generation so they might know Jesus, period. Period. And my, question, my question is this. Are you with me on that? 
Are you with me on that? Because here's the deal. If we don't do that, if we don't do that, guess what happens? We die. And Judges 2 becomes our story. And I am not willing to have that happen. And I can tell from you that you're not here. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God would show us what this looks like and help us to do that and uh, encourage our kids. I mean, if you see a kid today, give them a high five. Just let them know you love them. Don't be weird about it or anything. Just give them a high five. Pat them on the back. Let them know you're there. Okay? And let's start to pray about this. Let's start to do something about this. Let me pray. God, thank you for the truth of the Bible. It is so amazing to me that the Bible never holds back. You know, honestly, if I were to write the Bible, I don't know if I'd put that part in, that everything was going great and then it all blew up. But yet it makes sense to us. And God, we, we confess that we, for all of our efforts, we have not done all that we can to really invest in the next generation. And from this point on, we, we are putting a stake in the sand, God, saying, we're going to follow your lead. We are going to do whatever it takes to let the kids the teenagers, the young adults in our world right now know who Jesus is, that it is, he is still relevant to their lives, that he still changes lives, and that they can have an impact on the world around them, God. So give us hearts of humility and honesty and authenticity. Help us to be people who truly love the next generation and give us the hope that we need to be able to lead this church to a place where the next generation is filling the seats that they are following Jesus. We love you.